So it's been an interesting month for me so far. And just wanted to record this to let everybody know what's going on and, you know, maybe answer some questions that people might have and just kind of put it all out there about uh, what's been happening. Um, if you're a longtime listener to this podcast, you know, about three years ago, when we started um, one of those earlier episodes, I talked about having some vision issues and having some issues with uh, numbness and tingling down, you know, right side of my face and arm and got to the point where it got really bad uh, on a weekend and blurry vision, seeing halos around everything, starburst, um, very sensitive to light uh, when that had been going on for a few weeks. And then when the tingling and the numbness started down one side of my body, uh, I went to the doctor and they said, you need to go to the ER right away. And I told that story back on one of the earlier podcasts. Um, if you didn't hear that, the summary of that is they thought I was having a stroke, said, no, you're not having a stroke. Um, it might be a nerve issue and you should see a neurologist. So I went to the neurologist, did an MRI of my brain, CT scan, all that stuff, and said, you have an abnormal brain MRI, which you know, you really don't want to hear I mean, when the neurologist tells you that. But the good news is it wasn't a tumor. It wasn't something, you know, catastrophic uh, immediately and just something to monitor. So for the next year, I went back to the neurologist a few more times. They did another MRI a year later, and everything seemed to stay the same from year to year. This was like 2017, 2018. Uh, when they looked at it, you know, there's just some spots on my brain and ultimately said this could be consistent with uh, your age and having a few concussions, which I've had over the years. So we're just going to monitor it and see where it goes from there. Uh, come back in a couple of years. Well, September 10th of this year, uh, I went to a physical therapist uh, for TMJ. And how this started out is I went to my primary doctor because I'd broken my leg like, it's like two months ago now. Uh, back in August at a show, band show I was playing. I think I talked about that on one of these earlier recent episodes of the podcast we recorded. But broke my leg, didn't know it for like 10 days, just a hairline fracture. Went to the doctor and they were like, yeah, you're through the worst of it. Uh, we could put an, a cast on it, but you know, unless you're going to go be riding dirt bikes or doing something crazy where you could damage it again, you know, just stay off of it, you, you should be okay. So got a cane, walked around with a cane for you know, a week or so, and then started feeling better. And then within four to five weeks... I wasn't out, you know, jogging around the neighborhood, but I was able to walk pretty normal and felt okay. So that was it. That appointment, she also said, hey, you know, when I was talking about the TMJ stuff with her as part of that appointment when I went in for my legs, she said, uh, you know, you should probably go see a physical therapist for that because we think it's TMJ and you get an evaluation here. And they set me up and referred me to a physical therapist. So on September 10th, I went to the physical therapist and thought it was going to be a consultation. And the short version is she cracked my neck which as far as I know, she's not a chiropractor. Um, and it was a bad scene. The thing immediately I noticed is that I felt nauseous and my neck was burning and she was like, Oh, that might be normal. And I was like, okay, that doesn't reassure me really. Um, the next day was still doing it. So I called and I was like, should I still be feeling this nauseousness? And, uh, and it wasn't like I was throwing up, but it just, you know, queasy stomach, couldn't eat anything. Um, and my neck really was hurt, hurting and burning and the muscles were hurting. And I thought, you know, maybe she strained a pulled a muscle in my neck or something when she did it because it was very violent. And she said, well, my, my treatments are very aggressive. And I was going, it would have been nice if you would have told me this before you did it. Cause I was just laying there on the table and she was like twisting my neck and she goes, have you ever had your neck cracked before? And I was like, no. And she's like, well, you know, I think that's what we need to do. I was like, what? And she went, <coughs> And cracked it both ways. Um, I've seen like stars and everything. So it was pretty violent. And, she, you know, the next day for her to say, my treatments are very aggressive. Um, did not sit well with me. But, you know, I was like, okay. She's like, it should be gone in 24 hours or so. So two days later, when my neck was still hurting even more and more, I called my primary doctor to say, hey, what's up with this? And they were like, you should probably come in and let us look at it. So I went in and couldn't see my actual doctor, my, my normal doctor, but there was another one who was there. So I talked to her for a minute. She checked me out, you know, did a bunch of like things where she's tapping on me with paper clips and stuff, which I later found out are like neurolog neurological tests that they do. Um, you know, tested the strength and weaknesses, strengths and strength in my hands basically and in my legs and stuff. 
And she said, I think you're okay. Um, and cause I had explained to her what happened with the physical therapist. And the doctor said, you could possibly have a stroke as a result from that because it's a different kind of stroke. Cause it basically shears the arteries in your neck, which is terrifying to hear, to be honest. She's like, I think you're okay. Everything seems okay. Blood pressure is okay. But if you start having these specific symptoms, which are, you know, more tingling down your arm, numbness down one side of your body or your face, you definitely need to just immediately go to the ER. And this is like on a Friday. Friday night started tingling a little bit down my right arm, but it kind of went away. So I didn't think about it. Didn't go to the doctor. Saturday doing the same kind of thing. And on Saturday, my throat started feeling like tightening up and felt this tightness in my chest which was a weird kind of, you know, feeling. It didn't feel like, you know, heart related or anything like that, but just tightness in your chest and in your throat. I couldn't swallow. My throat felt like it was swollen up. Uh, still didn't go to the doctor. Sunday morning woke up and it was even worse, the tingling and the numbness down my right arm and some partially down my right leg. So I was like, I need to go have this checked out because at the worst, you know, they say, I mean, not at the worst, at the at the very least, they would be able to tell me, you know, you're okay. This is not a stroke. You know, there's no danger of anything. So I go to the ER, telling them the story. And I'm, when I'm in there telling the story to the nurse who checks you in at the desk, you know, just to see, do we need to get this person back there immediately? Or can they sit in the waiting room for a while? She, I got to the part about the physical therapist and she said, she did what? Which made me think um, even more that, just something wasn't right about that because it just never felt right from the minute after she did that, both my neck and just the overall gut feeling, which I pay attention to of this is something's not right with the situation. Something doesn't feel right here. And I got this very overwhelming, this is not right kind of feeling. Uh, and so when she said that and she seemed shocked that the physical therapist would do that, um, it made me go, Oh, maybe something is wrong here. And so they wheel me back. They took a chest x-ray. They took my blood pressure. They put an IV in. And basically they said, we're going to just make sure you're not having a stroke. Went to do an MRI, had the MRI, which a side note to that is since I had had the previous MRI a year ago, I've had a metal crown put in. Uh, for, I had a crown replaced and it was a metal crown replacement because the doctor said, the dentist said that it would, you know, adhere better to the tooth and it would be less likely to come off because the previous one had came off like probably three or four times over a four year period, which is annoying. I mean, in the long run, relatively not a big deal, but it is annoying when you constantly, when it comes off like two or three times in six months and you're like, this is driving me crazy. I don't feel like I can eat anything because this crown is going to come off. And it, it's not that it's, it's more an inconvenience than anything, but still it just gets in your head after a while. And so she'd put a metal crown on there and they're like, do you have any metal in your body? I'm like, well, I have this crown. And they're like, it's probably okay. And I'm going, okay. And so they go to ask the MRI technician about all that. And as I'm laying there in the ER in one of the rooms in the bed, I'm, you know, Googling on my phone, you know, what are the, what kind of metals and what kind of things in dental crowns and stuff like that? If it's a metal crown, uh, how will, how will it interact with an MRI machine? And the first thing that comes up is do not do this. It's super dangerous. If it's the wrong kind of metal, if it's a ferromagnetic metal, it could fly off and shoot through your head like a bullet. Is one of the potential catastrophic failures. It could overheat and trap the heat in and get so hot that you don't notice it at first, but then it melts like the tooth and the gums and bonds to it and you can't get it off. And then it is basically burning your mouth from the inside out, which also pretty much as terrifying. The third worst thing that could happen is it can overreact and interfere with the results of the MRI it can show up as an artifact on there and be hard to tell what's the, what's the crown artifacting and what's the actual stuff that they need to see on the MRI, MRI that could be a problem. So I'm trying to get Jason's wife to talk to the dentist who does not respond because it's a weekend and they act like, you know, they're in Siberia over the weekend, which I'm changing dentists, by the way. Don't hear anything back. I go to the MRI and the guy's like, it's, it's probably okay. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's new. It's within the last year, probably going to be okay. So I'm in the MRI machine for 30 minutes going, I hope this thing doesn't fly off and shoot through me like a bullet. Number one. And number two, melt in my mouth, <laughs> which is, you know, kind of, kind of not the situation you want to be in. Turns out it was all fine. Worked out. It was totally fine. It's a, and 
it is ferromagnetic in my mouth, but it's just lower amounts of it. Uh, it's like a cobalt chromium thing that doesn't really interact with the MRI all that much. And so thankfully, I didn't die in the MRI machine because of a, a stupid dental crown. After that, I'm back in the ER room. The doctor comes in and says, um, you're not having a stroke is the good news. And then he sat down and his tone changed and I knew something was different. And he said, when was the last time you went to the neurologist? And I had told him the last time I'd gotten the previous MRI, which he could look up in the system, the same hospital system and all that. It was a, you know, over a year ago, roughly. And he said, you should make an appointment as soon as possible. And he goes, and that's really all I can say. Which is not what you want to hear. He goes, you, you just need to make an appointment. With, he goes, you're, you're okay. You're not having a stroke. You're not, we don't think you're going to be dying you know, in the next you know, day or two because of something like that. No signs of any of that at all. Um, but you need to go to the neurologist as soon as you make an appointment. So I called the neurologist the next day, which was a Monday. And they said, you can come in tomorrow at 830 in the morning, which I don't know if you've ever had to go to a neurologist, but it is very difficult usually to get an appointment within, if you get an appointment within a month, you're doing awesome. When they say you can come in the next day at 830 a.m. Because um, he's looked at the MRI and he's looked at the radiology report. Um, from the ER the previous day um, before they, because I called and said, you know, when can I get an appointment? They said, we'll call you back. We're going to look at this stuff. So they called back within about an hour and they said, yeah, if you can come in tomorrow at 8.30, that would be good. So I go in, neurologist basically says, um, well, we need to do more MRIs and a lumbar puncture, which is a spinal tap. And when he said the spinal tap part, which I thought this is kind of funny, Afterward, not funny when he says it, he goes, I know you're not going to want to hear this and it's pretty horrible, but we need the spinal tap, which is not something you say to someone when you're trying to tell them we need this procedure. It's pretty awful. I mean, just come on, just leave out that part. Just, just say we need this procedure. But anyway, um, wasn't funny then. I, I kind of was, I was kind of like, dude, come on. Uh, now that I've been through it, I'm just like, okay, it wasn't bad at all. And then the next thing he said, while not nearly as funny, um, was the reason why we need that is because I believe you have multiple sclerosis and the spinal fluid is one of the three things that we test. And that's really the only way that we can, you know, narrow it down because it's a very hard thing to diagnose. Um, he's looking at the, he's because when they did the, um, head, the brain MRI in the ER, they also did a neck one because they were concerned about neck damage, obviously, from the physical therapist stuff. They wanted to look at the nerves and the bones and the, everything in the neck. Uh, he said, you got some lesions on your neck and another larger, relatively pretty large compared to what you had before lesion in your brain uh, that uh, very much indicates multiple sclerosis, but we need an entire spine MRI and we need the spinal fluid to kind of either uh, confirm that diagnosis or, you know, point us in a different neurological condition, nerve condition direction. Because MS and a lot of other things have very similar, they can mimic symptoms in a lot of ways. So, went home that day and was feeling like it started to feel, this is about a, four or five days later, two days after I'd been to the ER, about a week after I'd been to the physical therapist with the original injury. And my legs were feeling kind of tired. Like I was walking through like water. Um, they're just resistance from just the air and it's a very weird, strange feeling. Um, but you know, he was like, it could be these kind of things could happen. Um, and the next day started feeling more of that, but even then my throat and chest started getting tight and felt like somebody had wrapped like a belt, like a wide belt around my rib cage and was just squeezing it and pulling it in more and more and more and more and more. Uh, and it would primarily happen to me at night. And it's what I've come to find out they call the MS hug, which is a cute name for something that is so incredibly terrifying when it first starts happening to you because you don't know how tight it's going to get and it feels like it's suffocating you from the inside out and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, imagine somebody wraps you up in a blanket and then sits on you and that pressure of like you're like, 
you can still breathe, but it's tightening ever so slightly over and over and over again, and you're not sure when they're going to stop. Um, and you have no control over it, so it feels like you're being slowly suffocated. Um, imagine that, but you, then you can't say, get off me, because it's coming from your actual body doing it to itself. Uh, so very, very scary kind of thing. Uh, after that happened uh, one Wednesday night, on that next Wednesday night, uh, called the doctor's office, called you know the neurologist's office the next morning and said, hey, this stuff seems to be progressing and kind of going downhill at a quicker rate. I was getting like new and more severe symptoms and things were getting worse like every day. Um, so the neurologist's office said, um, you should probably go to the ER because they're going to be able to get these tests done for you as soon as possible because we really can't give you any steroids, which is the main primary first-line defense against stopping these um, MS symptoms right away. Uh, we can't do that until we have the spinal tap and the other MRIs to confirm that, the full spine MRI to confirm that. So they said, we suggest you go to the ER because the first time I could schedule the MRI and the spinal tap was like three weeks out basically the end of September. So we went to the ER thinking, oh, they'll do these tests here and then we'll go home. Well, in the ER that afternoon, they said we'd been there for about an hour and a half and they were like, the inter internalist, the uh, doctor that was on rounds at the hospital, they came down to the ER and said, uh, I'm going to check you into the hospital because we need to do this to monitor you and we'll do the tests, but we, need, we want you to stay here overnight. And I was like, okay, sure. So we check into the hospital on like a Thursday and they do all the MRIs. I did six MRIs back to back to back. So I was in the machine for like an hour and 45 minutes and it, it was crazy. I fell asleep in there and it was fine. But, you know, just being in that enclosed space, which I'm very thankful I'm not claustrophobic because that would have been a nightmare for a claustrophobic person. But was in there for an hour and 45 minutes. They got all the MRIs out of the way came back and said, talked to the neurologist in the hospital who was on rounds, which is not the one I met before, but a different one. And she said, yeah, it's looking more and more like this. Um, we need, still need the spinal fluid. We're going to schedule the spinal tap for tonight. So couldn't eat anything before the spinal tap. So I hadn't eaten all day because I thought, you know, we go to the hospital, we're going to get this spinal tap done, you know, what's actually called a lumbar puncture. But, you know, just most people know what a spinal tap. So in the hospital waiting for this, hadn't eaten anything, can't even drink water, they told me, for the entire day. Got to be about 9 o'clock that night, and they said, well, radiologists aren't going to have time. They had a bunch of them, a bunch of people come in with emergency ones they had to do, like three or four, I think, you know, because if somebody comes in the ER and is, has certain symptoms, they have to check. That's how they kind of check for meningitis, spinal meningitis, that kind of stuff, which is far more urgent than, you know, me. So the next day, still in the hospital, stay in the hospital overnight. They Say we're going to set up for the um, spinal tap in the morning. About 11.30 or 12 o'clock around noon, still hadn't eaten or drank anything. Um, they said, well, we're finally going to try to get you down there. Um, we missed the window this morning. We were trying to do it this morning. It was scheduled for like 7.30 and then 9.30. Uh, the neurologist, a different neurologist who was on rounds for the weekend came in and she's like, let me see what I can do. And so like an hour, like a half hour later, they called and came up and said, yeah, we're going to take you down there. And the way they do a spinal tap now is they use uh, an x-ray machine to know exactly where they're poking the needles, which is great because I remember when I was five years old, one of my first memories is having a spinal tap when I was five years old because they thought I had spinal meningitis in the ER. And basically, it's they lay you on a table and they stick you with these giant needles in your lower back until they find the right spot. Um, and I will never forget that, even though I was five. And as I'm going back, coming back from the MRI to the MRI machine to the, to the hospital bed, the lady who was pushing me in the wheelchair, she goes, yeah, she goes, what's going on? And you know, we were just talking and I was like, yeah, I just got some MRIs. Going to have a spinal tap later. She's like, Oh, you know, Oh. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, I had one done a few years ago and it's awful. And I'm going, you probably shouldn't tell somebody that you, you should know that working at the hospital, you shouldn't say this procedure is going to suck that you haven't done yet. And so, you know, it's not the anticipation of that kind of gets to you a little bit, but you know, I'm thankfully pretty calm person in general. So got through it. And then the spinal tap actually was not bad at all. The crazy thing is they lay on your stomach on a table 
they stick the needle in there to numb it, um, which honestly, I've been to the dentist and it's hurt way more than, than anything they did with Spinal Tap. Still not the most comfortable thing in the world. And then they stick these hollow needles into your, into your you know, spinal cord to get the fluid and they drain it out. And the way they drain it out is the table is this um, automated table that ro- rotates. So you're standing up basically, and it's got this little ledge at the bottom. And so when they rotate you up, you're standing up and hanging onto the table as your spinal fluid drains out of you into these little tubes. And they take like pressure before and after. They have this pressure gauge to determine, okay, your spinal pressure before was this, your fluid pressure after is this, to make sure, you know, they didn't lower it too much. And he's like, okay, we're going to take 12 or 13 out of you because they have a bunch of tests to do. And I was like, uh, what does that mean? Is that a lot? He goes, that's a lot. He goes, the most we've ever taken, most we ever want to take is 15. And I'm like, okay, you know, you've taken more before, so not a big deal. So they did that. And the thing about the spinal tap is you have to lay down completely flat while the spot in your back that they poke heals. Um, because if it doesn't heal right and you're leaking spinal fluid, you get this massive headache when you stand up. Um, whenever you're not laying completely horizontally flat, you get this tremendous headache that like, they say is worse than any migraine people have experienced is what they, is what people say. It's like this specific kind of headache. That's a spinal fluid headache that just knocks you out and you have to lay down your body. Like almost tells you instinctively you have to lay down. So I'm laying on flat on my back for like two or three hours after that I actually fell asleep. It's the best I had felt honestly in, you know, a few days. So I was able to get some sleep and they got, you know, IVs in me. They got this fluid constantly pumping because I hadn't been able to eat in probably a couple of days for the, in order to prepare for the spinal tap because it kept getting delayed. But then also because of the throat tightness, I hadn't eaten solid food in several days anyway. So they're pumping me full of this, what they call a lactate ringer, which is basically a fluid um, that attaches to your cells that not only hydrates you, but nourishes you. So if you're not eating, it's pumping it into you. And one funny thing about that, the last night I was in the hospital was the only night that we had a nurse who I would say uh, was not good. The rest of them were great. Uh, this one was just kind of didn't seem to care at all. So overnight, she never came to check on me. And being that this was like the fourth or fifth day that the IV had been in my arm in my vein, um, it had blown the vein out. And so <laughs> all that stuff, that fluid, that lactated ringer or whatever it was called, was pumping into my arm, into the tissue. So I got up the next morning and got up to go to the bathroom and my arm looked like a Popeye arm. Like my forearm, my wrist, my hand, you couldn't like see any of the bones in your, in my hand or my wrist. And usually mine are pretty visible. It, it was like crazy looking and I, it looked like I had a giant bicep and there's like my tricep was swollen all out and then like the swollen Popeye forearm, um, because all that had just pumped this, you know, m- many milliliters. I don't know exactly how many it was into my arm overnight for, you know, eight hours. And the woman had never bothered to come and check on it, which is ridiculous. So. Another thing to go with that, the last thing I'll tell before I get back to, you know, what um, the actual diagnosis and all that stuff. Uh, The next day, so that later that day, uh, they had to come in and put another IV in because they still had to give me one steroid infusion before I left. So they sent in a nurse who um, obviously didn't know really what she was doing with this stuff. And I think she sent me, they sent her into me to practice basically to try to put a new IV in. So she's sticking me with the needle. And I'm looking down, so she goes to the other arm, and it's in my forearm, and I'm looking down at it, and I see when she puts the needle in, like four veins just like pop like way out of my skin, and like it looks like an ink blot pops up on my arm. And she goes, whoa, I blew that one out, and she had blown like three veins out. And it still, you know, two to three weeks later, is still a giant bruise right there on, on my forearm. And so she's like, well, I can't do that one. And so she moves further down towards my wrist, and she puts the needle in. And I look down and she's like, I'm like, that really hurts. And most of them, I just didn't even bother to think about before. And they didn't hurt or anything. I was like, I was like, that really hurts. And I look down and she's digging like in and out with the needle. The needle never came all the way out of my arm, but she's digging. She goes, yeah, I'm trying to find that vein. I got to dig for it. And she's basically digging into the tissue of my arm, trying to find the vein underneath. And I said, "Um, why don't we just take a break and do this later? Because it was several hours before they had to do the steroid IV. And so she's like, yeah, I should probably get somebody else to do this. And so she left. A couple hours later, this woman came in, this older nurse. And she's like, 
They sent me because I'm the specialist on this floor for this. And she did it, and it, I didn't even, didn't even feel it. And there's not even a, never was a bruise there. Every other one I had in the past month has had bruises, like for a couple of days. Immediately when I took the Band-Aid off, like, you know, several hours after they'd taken it out, nothing. It was like she hadn't even poked me at all. So I wanted to say she should do all of these because she was awesome. Uh, but anyway, the next day they came back and said, yeah, the initial test is there's no infection, no spinal thing, so we can give you the steroids because this is, you know, most likely MS. And that's the diagnosis that we're going to go with right now. When this one test that comes back in a few days from the lab we have to send out to for on the spinal fluid for banding and some, something else, it's all this stuff they named that, that I didn't honestly pay attention to because I just need to know the final diagnosis. When they said that, they're like, tomorrow we're going to start you on the steroids and we want you to stay in the hospital to monitor you. So Friday they started giving me, Friday night they started giving me the steroid pack, which is an IV infusion. It's like 1,000 milligrams, which... Um, if you've ever taken steroids before, like in the little pill packs they give you uh, for various things, uh, those are like four, two to four milligrams, and this was a thousand milligrams injected right into my body. It takes like an hour to get into you. Um, went through that three days in the hospital. Uh, had you know some reactions to that. It made me like it made like the symptoms worse in some cases. Um, and spent like the last, it's been probably like three weeks since I've been in the hospital now. Uh, the first week after the hospital was really rough. Um, not only the effect of the steroid, but the MS symptoms. Um, the chest tightening, the throat tightening up, the just a lot of things you don't really think about when you think about MS um, that I didn't anyway, that I was ignorant of. The just, I walked with a cane. Um, could barely get around, certainly couldn't drive, um, didn't do much of anything, to be honest, for that first week out of the hospital, but lay around. And just to talk a little bit about MS before I continue with the story, <laughs> I never realized what MS was. I knew it was a nerve and a neurological issue and condition and disease, and there's no cure for it and all that stuff. And I thought, you know, oh, you know, you may... Some days you might not be able to walk. There are people in a wheelchair, and, there's, and there, there are different forms of MS. There's a progressive uh, MS that doesn't ever you know, remit. It's just constant and usually starts out earlier in life, and you just go downhill, and you, just, you get to the point where you can't walk. Some people can't talk. Um, you just have all kinds of different issues because you know, nerves affect everything. Well, what they've told me is mine is, they think right now, is uh, relapsing, remitting MS, which uh, they expect it to kind of fade for the most part. Um, and then once I get on the controller medication, uh, that it will maybe hope, hold the symptoms at bay and there will be relapses that come up. And the relapses could be, you could have relapses every several days. You could have relapse. It could be a couple weeks. It could be a year. I've talked to people since, since that I've been diagnosed that have said, yeah, I was diagnosed in my 20s and had one episode where it was bad for a few weeks and it never and it left some lingering effects, um, like a vision, like a slight vision thing, or like I you know, have a tingling in my hand or my leg every now and then, but I've never had another major relapse again. So it is a varied disease that affects people in many different ways. Um, there are many different symptoms within it. Just to explain a few things that I've had, um, because I don't want to speak to anything other than just what I've experienced. Um, there were days when I couldn't eat solid food. Uh, there were weeks when I couldn't eat solid food already. Like the first couple of weeks after I really, the symptoms really started kicking in on me. Um, there are issues, you know, where you have difficulty getting the food out of you, if you know what I mean, um, after you eat it. Um, so did a lot of smoothies for a couple of weeks. I've fortunately been able to start eating more solid food uh, about a week ago and still kind of keeping that up. Sometimes it's difficult to swallow, but, and started to lose my voice there for a little while. But, you know, just made me sound really hoarse more than anything else. Uh, that's mostly came back. Um, I walked with a cane for a couple of weeks. Um, right now, I'm able to get around my house without using a cane. But if I go outside anywhere, I still can't drive because uh, my reactions just aren't there yet. Um, I wouldn't want to. It's, it's not that I couldn't, but like if I had to, if it was an emergency situation, I could. But I would not want to. would not be a good idea just because I'm very much more likely to get into an accident or not be able to avoid an accident, um, but just because of reaction time. Because just 
What MS does is the nerves flare up, and especially in a stressful situation or a change in environment, like going outside if it's hot. The crazy one of the crazy things is earlier this summer, uh, I was telling Jason's wife, I was like, you know, when I go outside, it feels like the sun is like brighter, like hotter on my skin. It's like I can feel more of the UV radiation. And the idiot that I am, I'm going, this must be related to climate change. And, you know, I'm feeling the effects of that. And she's like, it doesn't feel any different to me. And I'm going, well, maybe I'm just more sensitive to that. And actually, yeah, I am more sensitive to that because that's part of MS is you get more sensitive to temperature changes. Uh, you get more sensitive to light. Uh, you get more sensitive to sound. It's very, it's very strange now how I can't concentrate. Um, and I've talked a little bit about this on the podcast before about, you know, when you get in your 40s, you know, and your body just doesn't work anymore and you feel older. I, um, because this is the first time I've lived in my 40s <laughs> and the only body I've ever known, I'm thinking, oh man, the people just didn't talk about as much about how, you know, getting older affects you. And while that's true to an extent, I didn't realize until now, but what I've been feeling is very much um, more than the normal person the usual person, the person without MS, because my nerves are way more sensitive to that kind of stuff now. My muscles get more fatigued easily. Um, just this past week has been the first week I've been able to move around and stand up all day without having to lay down every couple of hours. Um, like the, the time I was in the hospital, I was in the bed most, hospital bed most of the time. I was there for like four days. The week after that, about a week and a half after that, when I was at home, I was laying down most all the time. Um, I would get up to, you know, walk around every few hours because the doctor said, you know, get up every hour or so and just move around for five or 10 minutes. And so I did that. But otherwise I was laying down on my back. Uh, it just knocks you out and couldn't do really anything more than a few minutes at a time. Now I'm building up that endurance again. Um, I'm able to record this. And this is the reason why we haven't recorded a podcast basically in a month is because of all this stuff that's been going on. Um, I just wasn't ready at the time to talk about it yet. So, um, we just didn't really say anything about it, but it affects so much of your life that I didn't realize before. Uh, and then the research I've been doing, I'm like, I could have it a lot worse. So I am very thankful for being able to get out of it as much as I have now in terms of coming out of the, the episode is what like, they tend to call it. And am on the road back towards normal or what my new normal will be. And honestly, even the, you know, the greatest doctors in the world can't say for sure because it's just so much unknown about this disease in terms of how it's going to affect each individual person. Um, and there's so many more things than, oh, you know, I have to walk with a cane or I'm in a wheelchair, which would be bad. But there's so many other things, small, intricate details in that, that of life it can affect that honestly, I was ignorant about, and now I'm not. And I am, in a way, uh, obviously more attuned to what this disease can do because it's, I'm experiencing it firsthand, but also just in the research and the knowledge. So I encourage people, if you're at all interested in seeing what people may be going through with this, uh, just read up about it. There's The National MS Society has a good webpage with a lot of information, and uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's a crazy thing that affects a bunch more people. And the vision thing that I was having several years ago, it's a, usually a key sign. It's called um, optical neuritis, I think they said. Um, and that's now what they think all that was. I mean, they're pretty sure that's what that was. And it's still affecting me now where I have the same vision issue. Um, they told me right now that it's prob that's probably never going to go away just because once you have something like that that stays it's constant for a long amount of time, that doesn't really go into remission. Um, the hope now is that most of the things I experienced um, the week I was in the hospital, the week before that, and the week after, so that three-week period, uh, that that um, goes away completely. And now I wake up every morning and feel better, but my back is tight a lot more. I will tend to kind of comes and goes during the day while I have tingling down an arm or leg. But honestly, I'm very thankful because I'm able to get up and move around and do most things that I was able to a month ago. So with all that said, um, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the experiences that I had that were awesome as part of this. Um, because a lot of times we are doing things in life so fast or we're moving so fast or we're so busy or we're so occupied with other things 
that we miss out on some things. And this past month, I've had some experiences, one in particular that I want to share, uh, but just in general, just some amazing things that I've been able to experience in the last month because honestly, I wasn't able to occupy myself with the normal, quote unquote, normal everyday routine. Um, the main one I want to share is from that Friday night I was in the hospital. So the second night I'm in the hospital, the first night they gave me the steroids. And you may hear the story and go, ah, I got another explanation for that. That's fine. I'm going to tell you my explanation from what I experienced and hope that it resonates with you in some way. Um, because it's one of the most amazing experiences of my, of my life. Um, Friday night, they gave me the steroid and I'm laying in the hospital bed and I felt pretty decent during the day. This is the same day that the spinal tap and I was able to sleep for a few hours in the afternoon. So it's like eight o'clock at night. Typically when my symptoms would flare up would be seven, between seven and eight and nine at night. And I was eventually able to go to sleep usually, but sometimes it'd be three or four hours of just the tightness or feeling like I'm not going to be able to breathe or like somebody sitting on my chest to the point where I'm not sure if I'm going to suffocate or not, um, which is a miserable feeling, obviously. So I'm in the bed and these things start to flare up. My back starts to get tight. I feel like the band tightening around my ribs and it's basically from the bottom of my rib cage. So basically across the, my stomach up through middle of my chest, or the, you know, right where, you know, basically under your arms, um, front and back, all on both sides. And when that started, on that Friday night was probably one of the lowest points for me during all this, because honestly, I thought they didn't really explain a lot with the steroid when they gave it to me, but they were like, yeah, the steroid is intended to halt these symptoms. And so they gave me the steroid infusion about four or five that day from four to five that day. And then I'm laying in the bed. It was like seven 30 that night. And I'm trying to go to sleep in the hospital. And I felt these symptoms start up again. And it was just a moment of, oh, maybe the steroid didn't work. And honestly, there are types of MS where the symptoms don't go away. And it just progresses and progresses and progresses. And that's it. And that's your life for as long as you have left. Um, and so I'm thinking that. And it got me down a little bit, to be honest. And as I'm laying there, I felt just this, not despair, but just, okay, this is, this is my, what I might have to live with. And did that for about an hour, and then I fell asleep, fortunately. Not too long after I fell asleep, I woke up and felt this like intense heat all over my body. And it felt like there were the best way I can describe it is it felt like just fire wrapped around me. And the visual I got in my mind was just fire wrapped around the back of my body, around the sides of my body, starting at my shoulders and down, you know, past my knees. And I could feel like the symptoms starting to come on. And this fire, this feeling of heat would flare up and the symptoms would die down. And it happened like two or three times within about 30 minutes as I'm laying there trying to go back to sleep. And I fell asleep again, was able to fall asleep again after that, but then I woke up and felt like my shoulders were literally on fire and to the point of where I started tearing the hospital gown off because it snaps like buttons at the shoulders and I'm pulling those and I'm trying to get like, feel like I'm, it really felt like there were like wings of fire was the image in my mind coming out around my body and I couldn't tell if it was coming from like sprouting out of me or if they were wrapped around me but it was just this intense fire heat like I've never felt before. And every time these symptoms would start to flare up, this happened multiple times, the symptoms would start to flare up of MS, the tightness would come on, this fire would intensify, and the symptoms would die down and go away. And so part of me in my mind is thinking, this is the steroid kicking in. This is the steroid doing its job. It's fighting off these symptoms. It was like a war going on within my body. and. As I fell back asleep that second time, I woke up about, not too long later, it was about 30 minutes later, and all I could say, and I don't even, can't even explain it to you other than all I could say was holy. And I felt this compulsion that I couldn't stop from lifting my arms up and saying holy. 
Now, I'll stop right here to say I believe in God. I've believed in God and Jesus and everything since I was, since I was a kid. Uh, I've had some experiences and some interactions where I felt like God has been speaking directly to me about things. Uh, I've had some interactions where I've seen things that should not be there or, sh- or not explainable in our rational world, and I attribute those things to God. And I believe that there is a lot going on that we can't see with our eyes in this world. And I believe that it's God. And that's how I explain it. Now, you can believe anything you want. I'm just like, again, I'm sharing a personal experience with you. In that moment, I felt like God was right there with me in that hospital. And that fire was burning away this disease. And that's the only way that I know how to explain it to you. I can't even put it into words what it felt like. But I got up out of the bed and realized the entire bed was like a puddle. It was like a swimming pool where I'd been sweating so much. So I got up out of the bed and we called the nurse in. They changed the sheets. And I laid back down and started to feel the symptoms again. And then immediately this fire, this wings of fire that felt like were coming out of my back wrapped around me. And the symptoms would die down, and I went back to sleep. And I felt in that moment, God was there with me. Now, call it what you will, explain it however you want. I'm just telling you my personal experience and story. The next day, I got up, and Deanna, she was in the hot, who was stayed, she stayed the entire time with me and was awesome and great and has been awesome and great through all this. And I could not have made it without her because she's driving me places. She's doing everything for me. She's taking care of everything and still doing her job and still handling everything she's doing. She's been ridiculously amazing. She's there and she said, when you got up last night, she goes, what happened? She goes, because the look on your face, she's like, it was just this bright light shine. Like she goes, I can't even explain the joy and the happiness on your face when you got up and turned towards me, she goes, at first I thought something was wrong when you got up and you were tearing the hospital gown off, but you looked at me like, and it was the greatest, you know, you just experienced the greatest thing in your life. And so I told her the story and told her what happened. And I was like, you know, it may have been God using the steroid in me, but it was God that met me right there at that moment and drove these symptoms away. And that was exactly what I needed because And at the right timing, perfect timing. I mean, me, I would have said, hey, God, can you fix this a week ago? (laughs) But God knew what I needed, and he met me right there. So the next morning, after talking with Deanna, the neurologist comes in, and she's like, so how did it go last night? We want to check on your side effects or anything. How did you react to the steroid? And I start out telling her just, you know, I felt like this, you know, burning and fire. And I told her that part of it, and I said it felt like, you know, whenever the symptoms would rise up, this heat, this fire would overcome it. And then the fire would die back down. And then maybe a little bit later, the symptoms would come back. And then the fire would overcome it. Almost like illustrating to me, you know, the fire would only come and the the heat was only coming when it was necessary uh, to fight off these symptoms. And she had this look on her face of bewilderment. And I said, has that, I said, is that a typical reaction? She said, never in all my years of being a neurologist, working with people with MS or other neurolog- neurological conditions about steroids, about anything, have I ever seen or experienced or heard or read or studied anything like that? I have never heard any sort of, in which the way she described it, she's and was actually a great description. She said, I've never heard of like this clash of the Titans battle going on in someone's body. It feeling like that where the symptoms and something else, the steroid or medication or whatever are fighting off uh, the symptoms and this war. Uh, So this is brand new to me as well. I've never heard it. She said, I've never heard of anything like this. Um, And then she said something that I'll never forget. She said, we gave you the first dose of steroids last night. It usually takes at least two to three days before you feel any effects on the symptoms from the steroid. 
because of the way that the steroid works is attaching around your cells. And that takes at least a couple days. So I said, well then, have I got an experience to share with you? And told her about what I knew had happened that Friday night. The only other thing I'll say about this is when I was leaving the hospital, uh, a couple days later, uh, the employee who came to wheel me out, because you have to take a wheelchair out uh, to the car, to the curb, when you've been in the hospital, she came and as she was pushing me down the hallway, you know, going towards the entrance, she said, so how was your stay here? Everything okay? And uh, she was an older lady. And I said, it was pretty good, you know, ups and downs, good and bad. I said, I had an awesome experience and God met me here in that room on Friday night. And she looked at me and she said, was that a good or a bad thing? <laughs> Which made me laugh because I can see where it would be terrifying if God showed up to you and you didn't believe in God before or didn't know anything about God and God just suddenly showed up. It would be terrifying. Um, but I said, no, it, it was a great thing, an amazing thing. And she said, that's awesome. And she instantly proceeded to tell me about two or three things that had happened to her just the day before where miraculous, very out-of-the-ordinary things happened that she couldn't explain. And so we talked about that as she pushed me down to the car. And the last thing she said to me was she said, I'll see you again, brother. And it just was this instant connection with this woman that doesn't happen without, to me personally, doesn't happen without God being involved, is my thought. One last thing I'll say about this before I move on. When they gave me this diagnosis, I had been praying about this. And I first started out going, God, help me through this. God, heal me. Heal me. And after several days of that, realized God was saying to me, I can heal you. But what I want you to want more than being healed is me. And to experience me. And to know that I'm with you in this, no matter what. Because things are going to happen that are not great. It's not going to be comfortable in some cases. But through it all, I'm with you and I got this. And so I started praying that. And I believe God showed up that Friday night in the hospital. And funny enough, it reminded me a couple of days later, thought in my mind of when I first went to the physical therapist on September 10th and she had cracked my neck. When I was leaving there, I started feeling this burning and something felt really not right. And at that moment, I just said, God, this is going to be okay, right? Which is my way of saying, this is not going to be a thing, God, right, God? This is going to be okay? And got this overwhelming feeling in this voice in my head said, no, Jason, this, this is not nothing. This is something. And it's not just going to go away. And... Looking back on that now, part of me is, wants to say, oh man, that's disappointing. But the majority of me wants to say, that was God talking to me then too. Because he knew right then, this is going to be something you got to go through. And so the way that I'm approaching this is not with confidence in doctors. Now, I believe in science, and I believe in doctors, and I believe in medicine, and I believe that these treatments are necessary, and I'm going to physical therapy, and I'm taking medications, and I'm doing everything that they tell me and getting tests and stuff like that. But God can use that to heal you just as much as a miracle. And I believe God wants to work through medicine and doctors and science in order to help people. But God was telling me in that moment, you're going to go through this. And what it has changed in me already is I just want to know God more. I want to know more about him. I want to spend more time. I want to experience more of him. And so that's part of the reason why I'm recording this is just to tell you it's worth it. It's worth whatever you have to go through. And it may suck now because believe me, there are some times in the last month that I was like, this sucks. 
But God always showed up in every case, in every time for me. And I hope that you can experience that too. Now, moving forward, I have confidence and faith and hope in God that he can handle anything that comes up in these days ahead with this disease. That's, that's a lifetime thing. There's no cure for it currently. What I will say is it has torn the veneer off of reality for me in a way, which is to say, now I'm living day to day. What, how do I feel this morning when I get up? What's going on? I don't know. I can't predict how I'm going to feel tomorrow, how the symptoms are going to flare up. Will it be completely, you know, a relapse where I fall into something where I have to go back and get more steroids or they have to change my medications or anything like that? Or will it be completely in remission for a while and I can almost get back to, and in some cases, completely back to, hopefully, normal everyday-to-day things that I was doing before? Fortunately, I haven't lost any strength so far. So even when the like slight numbness and tingling is there, I can still have full strength and capability, hands, legs, feet, whatever, so I can walk. Um, like I said, sometimes it was with a cane because of balance issues. I definitely take a cane when I go out of the house because I never know what I'm going to run into, you know, stepping up on curbs, walking across uneven ground, that kind of stuff. Um, it's just good to have. It's just kind of like a backup. It's a crutch, basically. But the reason I say the veneer has been torn off of reality is me living day to day like that and having faith and my faith being in God, um, whatever your faith is in, whatever if you, if you don't believe in God and you're still living day to day, you still have faith in something. You have faith that, you know, the universe is going to keep revolving and whatever you put your faith in, you know, if you, if you say you have faith in nothing, then that, um, that's more faith than having faith in something to me, if that makes any sense. But living day to day is something that we all really are doing, whether we acknowledge it or not whether we realize it or not. So for me, the veneer has gone away and I can see clearly that I'm going to need to, to live day to day because I don't know what tomorrow brings for me. But you can say the same thing about everybody in life because we never know. It could be something great. It could be something tra- tragic. Anything could happen tomorrow. We're not guaranteed any more seconds than this one second that just passed on this planet in this life. So it's not, it's not a thing that some people can live day to day and some people can plan out their entire future and be confident and secure in that. We never know about this life. And now I've seen that firsthand that I don't know what quality of life I'm going to have tomorrow or the day after that or six months or six years or, you know, 20 or 30 more years, which is likely, but nothing's guaranteed for me or for any of us. So it's kind of made me reorient how I think about things for the better in a lot of cases. Um, but anyway, as far as treatment plans and things like that, I'm going to be hooking up with um, some specialists here in Atlanta. Uh, I'm either going to be going to the MS Center of Atlanta or the Shepherd Center, which both have been recommended to me. Uh, I already have an appointment at one. I'm trying to set up an appointment at the, at the other. Uh, I have like nerve pain medications right now. They signed me up for a medication that costs like $60,000 a year that fortunately insurance is supposed to cover all or most of it at least, um, that um, I have to actually apply for the medication and they have to approve me. It has to come directly from the pharmaceutical company. The you know, pharmacies don't handle this stuff. Uh, but it's an oral medication. You know, this used to be all shots and good luck to you. Uh, and now it is with the, some of the advancements they made in recent years. Um, it seems to be much more manageable if you can get into the right program and get the right medicine for you. Um, and just learn how to deal with your specific symptoms and what trigger them and just kind of avoid some things. I don't think I'll be going to the beach anytime soon. Maybe never again. I'm not going to be like out getting a suntan just because the sun feels like, you know, I'm being cooked when it's on my skin. It's like I can feel the radiation, if that makes any sense. Um, fortunately, I haven't had a problem with just, just heat yet. Um, mine may be a cold uh, related thing that's triggered more because I went outside today and it was like, 60 something degrees this morning. And I had kind of like a numbness tingling flare up. So, um, but I'm thankful for every day and I'm thankful for where I'm at right now. And I just have to live in that for now and, you know, just have hope for tomorrow. Um, if you're listening, if you listen to this and you're like, Hey, how can I help? How can I, um, 
help you in any way. Um, the first thing I would say is if you're a person that prays, pray. That's number one. If you're not a person that prays, that's okay. Um, if you are a person of action, that you're like, hey, I, I give money, um, the National MS Center, uh, or what is it, National MS Association, you can look it up. It's National MS something. Um, I know they do a bunch of research uh, that goes t- towards finding a cure or developing new medications and things like that. Uh, you can donate to them. They're, um, you know, 501c3, you know, charity, tax deductible stuff. Um, if you're looking for something more local to me specifically, um, the Shepherd Center and the MS Center of Atlanta, I believe, are both 501c3. I know the Shepherd Center is, uh, and they take charitable donations. I think you can go to their website. If you Google Shepherd Center Atlanta or MS Center of Atlanta, you can find their websites and information. Um, you can always contact me if you have any questions. I feel like I'm trying to do this to answer a lot of the basic stuff uh, right up front. Um, the plan is to continue with the podcast with KJ as much as possible. Um, I'm going to still try to get back into, still have hopes of getting back into uh, the normal stuff that I do on a regular basis. Um, it's just kind of all wait and see right now. Um, if you want to send me a message, um, you can hit me up on Twitter at JudoFuse, or you can uh, send some stuff to my P.O. box, which I will put the information in the, like, you know, if you want to send me a card or write me a letter, obviously, obviously not necessary, but if that's the type of person you are, uh, please don't send me any money. Send that to the, the Shepherd Center or the MS Center of Atlanta or the National MS Society um, if you want to make any kind of donation or anything like that. Uh, I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying I know that there are some people out there like, oh, wow, I want, to, I want to get involved somehow. I want to be active on this. I want to help out. Um, I actually donated to the National MS Center uh, about a month ago. Um, so it's, um, I think it's a pretty good organization. And as far as I can tell, uh, very reputable and are actively working toward research um, for cures and improvements in treatment. Um, the last thing I want to say is, um, I have to revise my take on insurance because we have a nurse advocate now with our insurance that's assigned to us, uh, that she called like a few days after the hospital, she called before the actual doctor did. And she's like, Hey, I just wanted to check in and see if you're okay. And never once has she said, you know, anything about payments or bills or anything like that, which I mean, all that, a lot of that's wait and see, because we haven't gotten all the hospital bills yet and stuff. Um, most of this should be covered. I think we're going to hit our maximum yearly out of pocket. Um, that's assured already. So for this year, we've hopefully paid the max, you know, after this one or two more bills. Um, but don't know how it's all going to go in the long run because ultimately it comes down to, are they sending me a bill for $40,000 or are they sending me a bill for $2,000? But the nurse advocate from our health insurance has been awesome. She helped me get into the neurologist faster. She helped me get a, a follow-up appointment. I was, I was calling in for four or five days in a row trying to get them to call me back. They never would call me back to give me an answer to something. Talked to her. She called them. Within 10 minutes, they called and said, hey, can you come in tomorrow afternoon? So she's been awesome. She's been super helpful. And so my take now on insurance is, just like everything else in the world, and I should have known this, there are good people and there are bad people. And there are good insurance companies and there are bad insurance companies. And there are probably good people and bad people even at the good and bad insurance companies. So it just kind of all depends on who you end up with. Uh, and she has been awesome. So could not go without saying how surprised and delighted I have been with my insurance company so far. And I'm sure we'll keep up to date on that because if that turns bad, I'm obviously probably going to bring that up on a podcast at some point. But just had to mention that because I've railed against insurance companies for years and she has been amazing and awesome. So um, it's Blue Cross Blue Shield, by the way, which I would recommend to anybody who can get it. It's way better than uh, Aetna, which I had before, which is garbage uh, from my experience. And some people may have them and think, oh, these are great. Or you may work for them and be like, hey, it's great for my end. But, you know, I think we've seen with that trial in Oklahoma or whatever where they went after the woman just stupidly for stupid stuff um, that uh, they're not the greatest. But, um, again, you have any questions, send me an email. If you don't know my email, well, hit me up on Twitter. If you don't know that, just check the uh, description uh, for this podcast and hope I haven't bored you too much. I appreciate it. If anybody who's still listening, um, I would be glad to talk with anybody about anything I've said in here. Um, but uh, this is kind of my way of announcing to everyone um, who listens to this podcast because I know um, – I got a lot of a response a few years ago when I first started talking about it and people seem to be concerned. And, uh, I know you guys are a caring bunch. So 
Uh, I hope you'll understand my rambling and forgive me for going on for an hour, basically, about my own problems. Um, I, I don't ever want to complain about this because uh, it could be worse, certainly. And there are people who have MS that have it worse. And <laughs> one thing the doctors told me, which I was not too pleased with when they said it, I had two different separate doctors tell me, well, at least it's not cancer, um, which is a strange way to put it. I mean, I'm thankful I don't have cancer right now, uh, but it's a strange way to tell somebody, hey, you have MS. At least it's not cancer. It's just, I don't know. There's something just doesn't sit right with me about just saying it like that. But uh, anyway, um, thanks for listening again. And I am sure, oh, I'll put, this, put it this way. I am hopeful you'll hear from me and KJ and our third chair again very soon. Thanks. Thanks.